on a cold winter afternoon in late February of 1944, Nazi authorities raided the Tin Boom family home and watch shop in suburban Amsterdam. You might be familiar with the name Corey Tin Boom, wrote a book about her and her family's experience in the Holocaust called The Hiding Place. Corey and her sister Betsy were two middle-aged sisters. Their father, Casper, ran a watch shop that was on the bottom floor, and the family home was on the top floor, and many others were in the home as well. You see, the Tin Boom family was sheltering Jews from the Nazis. Thankfully, those being sheltered were not found that day, and they were able to safely escape capture. In fact, in her captivity, Corey received a coded message telling her that, quote, all the watches in your cabinet are safe, which was meant to say all the Jewish people that you were protecting are safe. But Corey, her father Casper, and her sister Betsy were not safe. Arrested, subjected to injustices at the hands of the Nazis, Casper passed away only 10 days after his arrest. Corey and Betsy were sent away to a women's labor camp, and there amidst the horrific conditions of the camp, the two sisters would lead worship services, they would minister to other prisoners with a Bible that had been smuggled to them, but eventually Betsy passed away in the labor camp. Before her death, Betsy told her sister Corey, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. After Betsy passed, Corey was actually surprisingly released from the camp. This was ultimately found to be due to a clerical error. Corey Tinboom would later write of these experiences and the hardships that her and her family endured. She wrote, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. How well do you sit still and trust the engineer? Particularly, dear Christian, how well do you trust the engineer when it seems that the stakes are high and the costs are great and the pains are acute for following Christ? When it seems that perhaps not some form of outright persecution, or maybe so, but suffering is part of the lot of the Christian. Suffering solely for the name of Christ. How well do you trust the engineer? What I want to hold up for you from 2 Thessalonians 1 is that when you suffer persecution, thank God that He is growing you in the faith. Rest in His justice towards your persecutors and pray for Him to work in power in you. Let me say this again. When you suffer persecution, thank God that He is growing you in the faith. Rest in His justice and pray for Him to work in power in you. I invite you to follow along now as I read. Follow along silently. I'm going to read our passage. These are the most important words that you will hear me say today. The reading of God's Word. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, 
So the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day, to be glorified in His saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in Him, according to the grace of our God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is growing you. God is storing up justice. And God will transform you in your suffering. First, thank God that He is growing you in the faith. You see this in verses 3 and 4. If you remember, the church in Thessalonica was enduring significant even severe persecution for the Christian faith. This intensification of the persecutions they endured, as well as continued questions about the possible coming return of Jesus Christ, are likely what prompted the Apostle Paul to write this letter in the first place. This is a second Thessalonians, so it's the second letter to the church in Thessalonica. It's follow-up to the first. And so what, I, what we must see in verses 3 and 4 is that Paul gives thanks And note what he gives thanks for and how this growth has come about, as he says, in persecution and affliction. He says, we give thanks to you, brothers, because why? In verse 3, your faith is growing abundantly. The love you have for one another is increasing. And therefore, we boast about you to other churches because of your steadfastness in the faith in all your persecutions and thanksgivings that you are enduring. Do you realize, dear Christian? Do you realize that the precious jewels of God's sanctifying work in us are often unearthed in trial and in suffering, not in comfort and in ease? If I were to ask each of us who are Christians, do you want to grow in your faith and increase in your love for one another? I imagine that most, if not all of our hands, would go in the air. But then if I were to say, well, How many of us would sign up for that growth to come through suffering, even enduring persecution, for the name of Christ? 
If you were like me, at first gut reaction, at honest response, hand in the air to the first one would kind of slouch down to the second one. And yet Paul rejoices here, not that the church is enduring persecution, but how they are growing in the faith in the midst of it. We think of growth as a Christian like a workout plan. I read my Bible, I pray, I worship. I'm grown into more and more spiritually well-developed, well-defined person, which is true in one sense. But the Christian faith is actually not one where we grow stronger in ourselves, but it's one where we grow weaker, more and more aware of and understanding of our weakness and in, in embracing that weakness that leads us to embrace our Savior and find strength in Him. In accord with the pains and agonies of follow, following Christ, we find Christ to be strong and capable in the midst of our weakness. Has it ever dawned on you that when you pray for God to grow you in the faith, that He might do so through the fires of opposition to the name of Christ? Now to be sure, when we talk about persecution, when we talk about suffering for the name of Christ, this kind of persecution, this kind of suffering that the church in Thessalonica was enduring, they, they, they faced like physical violence, government intimidation, coercion. It's thought even likely that government officials were, were, were taking great sums of money from the Thessalonican Christians to keep them out of prison, things like that. Th things that those are not the kinds of things that we have to fear or that we have to face in our day and age. I've heard it said, understandably, rightly, that in our day and age, for, for following Christ, for believing this message of the gospel that God's Word clearly articulates, the, 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 the lordship of Christ, the, the necessity to repent of sin and follow Him, that, that we don't have to fear so much a raised fist, but more a raised eyebrow. That loved one, that neighbor, that coworker, that person around you that kind of raises their eyebrow and says, you, you believe that? backwards. It's bigoted. It's out of step with our modern sensitivities. And yet, none of us would willfully sign up for such a thing. When Paul sees this, he does not assert the rights of the church or, or uh, uh, seek ways to one-up those who oppose the message of the gospel or the message of the church. No, he sees it as opportunity to thank God for the growth that he is working in these Christians in Thessalonica. So, dear Christian, when following Christ is hard, specifically because so many around you do not follow Christ, Specifically because you feel like an outsider compared with those even that live inside your own home. Know that God is at work in you. And pray all the more that He would raise you up in this love for one another in the church. That He would raise you up deepening your faith in Christ. See, Paul recognizes that there is a preciousness to the fellowship of suffering for the name of Christ. See, Paul did not boast in the numbers of attenders to the church in Thessalonica. He did not boast even in their 
uh, in their in their intellect or their smarts. He boasted in their reputation as a people who were faithful to God. They were faithful to Christ. They were growing in the faith. Now, to be clear, Paul is not saying that growth is for a follower of Christian maturation in the faith that it only comes through persecution. That is not what Paul is saying. But we do have Scripture as well as the testimony of 2,000 years of history that God grows His church in the midst of her facing the fires of opposition. And so I think it would be important for us to pause here and consider the deliberations, the considerations of our own hearts. We must all acknowledge that like we would lower our hands earlier when we said, well, do you want to grow this way? We must all acknowledge that the, the, the desires of our hearts, the inclinations of our lives, when we consider what it means to follow Christ, we kind of flow down to the path of least resistance. Like water, we're always looking for the easiest way. We must be very careful, dear Christians, we must be very careful that we don't embrace a view of the Christian faith that offers all the benefits, heaven, fellowship with others, but not, does not require us to come face to face with the costs of following Christ. Those costs being social, relational, even business or financial. I don't want a fear monger, but I want to snap us out of any strains of or any clinging to the last vestiges of easy Christianity. The road to growth as a follower of Christ might be paved with suffering for His name. And so as we understand that suffering and persecution can and will come for the Christian, I want others of us to take comfort to know that if it has come upon you, that God has not forsaken you. And when it comes, don't just thank God that He's growing in you, you in the faith. But secondly, as we see, rest in the truth that He is storing up justice for those who persecute His church. We see this in verses 5-10. through 10. In the midst of the severe persecutions the church was enduring, Paul wanted them to know that God saw their sufferings. He saw those whom they were suffering under, and He would promise to deliver perfect justice on both accounts. Look at this, verse 5. He says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And then verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with afflictions those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. So it's as if the, 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 the understanding of the, the destiny, the, 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 the direction to which those who are marching is, is, is getting greater and greater clarification. Those who are following Christ, this is evidence of God's righteous judgment that they would be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. There are a few things that the faithful Christian could be more joyful in than be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. And yet for those who oppose Christ, to those who oppose His church, it says they're heaping up judgment upon them. God is going to repay them with affliction as they afflict His church. Accounts will be perfectly settled. Now, I want to pause. We are, we are journeying across uncomfortable terrain right now. Some of us might be getting a little disoriented. If I were to survey various churches across the area, across the region, across the Western world even, 
and you, you're going to have an examination on any typical Sunday, is this church going to more talk about God's love or God's judgment and His wrath even, then you would have find the overwhelming lion's share of churches are going to talk more about God's love, which is a very important thing to talk about. But what we see here is that God, His Word demands that we carefully consider His judgment. Now, if you're not a regular worshiper with us, and you say, well, this is an interesting Sunday to be here, uh, what we have a pattern of is we regularly walk through books of the Bible just studying them week by week by week. And so we're, we've been in 1 Thessalonians, now we're getting to 2 Thessalonians, and so we'll be in 2 Thessalonians for three more weeks. And I should have thrown this in to the announcements earlier, and after that, uh, we're going to begin the book of Jonah for four weeks, and then the Gospel of Luke. So we just kind of like going through books of the Bible, because we think God has a lot more to say than I have to say. And 2 Thessalonians, God demands us to give consideration to this concept of the fact that He will settle accounts both on behalf of those who are worthy of His kingdom and behalf of those who have rejected and denied and turned away from Him. And so, as we see this in verses 5-10, through 10, we see how the Gospel helps us to know ourselves, to know our God's attributes, and how He speaks to all of this in the cross of Christ and in the coming return of Christ. So, so here's what I mean. The concept of God's judgment, the concept of God's, God's uh, 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 settling accounts, as, as the language says here, repaying with affliction those who afflict the church. This concept is a little odd for some of us. But what happens is that the gospel helps us to understand this. Now, when I say gospel, here's what I mean. Gospel means good news. And so it's this news that all of us have been created by God, and yet all of us in our humanity, in our human sinfulness, our fallenness, our brokenness, we have transgressed against God's Word. We have transgressed against what God has commanded of us to know Him and to follow Him. And by brokenness, we might use different terms to try to describe it, but we live in a world that nobody looks around and says, this world is perfectly good. In fact, I think it's got too much good. No, we, look at, we live in a world that has too much bad. And everybody looks around trying to grasp at how to fix it. But the gospel is God stepping in and saying, here, I will fix it and I will show you how I fix it. Not by telling you what to do, but by coming to you. And so this message of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus, He came to us, He took on human flesh, He lived and He served and He walked amongst people whom, uh, who were created in the image of God. And yet what he did was he atoned for, he paid for the sins of all who would turn their back on God and who would yet turn back and trust in Christ. So the message of the gospel is that God is holy, that he is loving, that he is just. We all demand justice in our world. That is a good thing. We see injustice. We want it exposed. We want it to held to account. And yet the danger is that in our fallen human nature, sometimes we fail to see the injustice or the sin that we commit. We just see it outside of us and not inside of us. But what God does is He says, I see all of it clearly, and yet what I do is I give you my Son who has died on the cross for your sins so that if you will come to Him, if you will come to Him in faith, 
surrendering your life to him, you will become one of these who is counted worthy of my kingdom. Not because you will develop into this great and mighty and powerful follower of Christ, but know that you will become one who belongs to Christ. And you will find that in following Christ, even as you suffer for his name, that you will find that in your weakness, his power is made strong. And so the invitation is there to come to Christ, to escape this judgment. You see verse 7. God will grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, hear the sober, somber clear warning of verses 8 and 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. But when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints, and He will be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And so, this message of eternal judgment, of even wrath of God on those who do not know Him, it sits a little strangely on us, perhaps. But put yourself in the shoes of Thessalonian Christians enduring beatings, extortion, mistreatment, homes taken away, Children watching parents suffer for the name of Christ. Parents maybe even having children ripped away from them because in the eyes of the government, the parents have begun to follow this strange, weird, cultic religion. And seeing this horrific mistreatment and knowing that God sees and God will settle accounts. The freedoms and the blessings that we enjoy by virtue of our place in history and our place geographically are quite uncommon from the experience of Christians throughout history. And even throughout our world today. May this spur us at the very least to pray for our brothers and sisters elsewhere around the globe. Who face opposition, who face persecution. Such as the Thessalonians faced even today. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Paul speaks clearly and definitively of the coming return of Christ. This is in 1 Thessalonians 4 and in 2 Thessalonians 1. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he emphasizes the return of Christ as the hope for Christians. And in 2 Thessalonians 1, he emphasizes the return of Christ as the means of coming judgment for non-Christians. And so I want to urge you, if you're not a Christian, give careful, earnest evaluation of your heart towards Christ. Or maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but you have to ask yourself in light of this, Have I sanded off the parts that are uncomfortable and actually developed a form of Christianity in my own mind, in my own heart that is detached from what the biblical picture is? And is it possible in doing so that I am doing what Paul says or warning against here in verse 8 where I am not obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus? Now you might say, okay, yeah, that's just too much for me, Stephen. I've got too much of a road to come to. But that's where we, we remember who wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul. And if you're familiar with his life before he became a Christian, Paul oppressed, Paul persecuted, Paul signed off on the murder and the execution of Christians. 
And yet now, Paul, set apart by, uh, redeemed by the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has experienced a radical transformation as new birth has come to him by the power of the Spirit of God at work in him. And now he writes these words exhorting the church to stand fast in the midst of the fires of persecution. And so will you be away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His eternal might? Or will you be one whom when He returns, you will be glor- He will be glorified in you, His saints? You will marvel amongst all who believe because the testimony of Christ was to believe. See, suffering from the name of Christ burns away false, superficial, easy believism. And it forces us to ask whether we yearn for Christ or simply want some of His blessings. Let me illustrate this principle, this picture in this way. After Her Majesty the Queen passed away, I, many of you probably like me saw and read about various stories of her and anecdotes from people's encounters with her. Uh, over the course of the years, um, I saw an interview this week with a man that was a member of her security detail for, I think, decades. And at one of her castles uh, in the countryside, her and this man would go on little hikes uh, uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the countryside. And every once in a while, they would encounter people and say hello and all that. Um, well, one day, they were out for a picnic and then a hike, and they run into a couple of Americans. It's always Americans in these stories. They run into a couple of Americans, and, and they saw her and him, and they started talking, and it became pretty clear that these Americans did not recognize who she was. And so they said to her, they said, uh, how long have you been coming up here? And she said, well, I live in London, but I've been coming here since I was a little girl. And they said, well, do you ever see the queen around here? And I forget the man's name, so I'm going to make it up. And so the queen says to the, the, the American, she says, well, I've never seen her, but Richard here sees, them, sees her all the time. <laughs> These Americans were astonished, astonished, the man who sees the queen all the time. So they quickly gave Queen Elizabeth their camera and asked if she would take a picture of them with him. Then they all switched around and they took a picture with her as well. And then finally they said their goodbyes and went on their way. And the queen looked at this member of her security detail and said, I would love to see their reaction when they show that picture to friends in America and they point out who is in that photo. I chuckle. I still laugh at that. We laugh at it, but it illustrates that these Americans were talking to and about the queen, but they did not know her. May we take this as a warning for us that the stakes will be far higher for those who talk of being around Christ, yet do not know Him. When you suffer for the name of Christ, thank God He's growing you in the faith. Know that He is storing up judgment for those who do not know Him. And finally, lastly, may we... Resolve that we will prayerfully be transformed in our suffering. This is verses 11 and 12. This fits with the emphasis of thanksgiving on, focused on growth in verses 3 and 4. As Christians, we don't just twiddle our thumbs waiting around for heaven as if we're waiting for the bus to arrive or waiting for an airplane to depart. No, God is promising to bring us into eternity via 
transforming and working us in, in us in the present, even now. Paul writes, to this end, in verse 11, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling, that He may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. Do you see that? Look at that. We pray that God would make you worthy of His calling, that He would resolve or would fulfill every resolve for good, every work of faith by His power. It's easy to read over that and lose sight of the power of that. We don't pray that you would be stronger. We don't pray that your faith would be deeper. We're glad to see it, but we know that it comes about by what? God fulfilling His work in you. The path to Christian strength is weakness. Recognizing how little we bring to the table, how much God is at work in us, and how desperate we are prayerfully yearning for Him to strengthen us, to be our, to be our confidence day by day. And so, for the one who feels like the demands of the Christian faith are so high, while their capabilities are so low, you are actually not far away. You're actually hitting the nail on the head. God is the one who works in us. As our strength is emptied out, as persecution or suffering for the name of Christ empties you of any notions of your own strength and your own stability, God allows your tank to be emptied that He might fill you up with Himself. And what is the purpose for this? Look at this connection in verse 12. That He might do these things so that the name of our Lord Jesus might be glorified in you and you in Him. Here's what we have to grasp about the glory of Jesus made visible in His church. It's not only as if we will see Him and observe Him when He returns. Yes, we will. But we will be infused with His glory at work in us so that we will reveal His glory. You remember Moses in the Old Testament? His face shone like the sun after he encountered God. I don't think our faces will shine like the sun. Maybe they will, but everyone's will, so you won't stick out. But what we will see is that God does not just enter into the theater for everyone else to behold, but God, through His Spirit at work in us, He shows His glory through His people. And so when Christian encounters Christian, when church member fellowships with church member, what we are doing is we are seeing the very hands and fingerprints of God at work in His image bearers, at work in those whom His Spirit dwells in. He shows us this chiefly, triumphantly. This work of Him transforming and working in power in His, in His servants in their suffering through the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who emptied Himself as He went to the cross, enduring ultimate suffering and service to God. And as He was emptied, even in His death, the name of God was glorified. The Gospel was held high that all who would come to Him would find their everlasting joy, their perfect pleasure in the fellowship of Christ, even in the fellowship of His sufferings. He sweated blood. He cried. He showed us that though the train entered the dark tunnel, He knew He could trust the engineer. And He showed you and I that we can trust Him as well. His cross was not meaningless. Your cross you carry, dear Christian, is not meaningless. It is life, it is God's work in lovingly transforming you. 
And so when you suffer for the name of Christ, thank God that He is growing you in the faith in that suffering. Rest that He will act in perfect judgment. And pray for Him to continue to work in power in you through His Son who dwells in you. Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask and we pray you would help us in our sufferings for the name of Christ. I pray that if there be any in here who, who, who need to be awakened, that the Christian faith is not something they pick and choose what is appealing to them, but is actually something where they take up their cross and follow Christ and surrender their lives to Him. I pray you would lovingly yet clearly, graciously reveal this. Draw them to yourself. And I pray that, Lord, you would Give all of us renewed resolve as your people, as your church. Renewed resolve to rely upon you, to grow by your grace, by your strength, your power at work in your people through setting our eyes and our hearts on Christ and on his glory as our strength and our reward. And we pray this in his name. Amen.